Hey, this is Mohani Love from Let's Talk About It. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Finally, right? Yeah, absolutely. I apologize for having to cancel last time with being sick and that. Sorry. But the question is, did you take heed to what I said in that email to you? Do you remember? I did. That? Did you? I did. You did it? Did you really? I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time hearing you. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, can you hear me now? It's yeah, that's good. Okay, so did you do what I said when I emailed you? I do everything you tell me to do. All right, positive. Because positive is where you live. Your address is Positivity Lane. <laughs> hey, you have experience. You tell me what to do, I'll do it. <laughs> so let's talk about it. So Terry, you've done every. Listen, you've done everything. So you know I have to talk about I want to tell my audience, okay, let me introduce this man to you guys, okay? Terry Tucker has been an NCAA Division One college basketball player, a Cedarville cadet, a marketing executive, a hospital administrator, an undercover narcotics investigator. Everybody just said, no, I'm fine. <laughs> a SWAT team negotiator, a high school basketball coach, a business owner, a motivational speaker, an author, and most recently, a cancer warrior. He's an author. He's the author of Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Living Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. Terry and his wife have lived all over the United States and currently reside in Colorado. Yay. Like, I know. One of these days, I got to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up, you know? Yeah, like, like I mean, okay, so we're going to figure out that. What can Terry do next? Like, you going to run for president? What? No. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so how has your, you know, I don't know if you would like to share with the audience, you know, what's going on with you. Um, and when I reached out to you, you were in the middle of healing, right? Yep. Still am. You look great. Well, thank you. I, I, I always look good from here up. It's from here down that, you know, I, I had a, I had my left leg amputated in 2020. Uh, 2018, I had my foot amputated. So I, I kind of joke with my orthopedic surgeon that, you know, he's kind of piecemealing me to hell one body part at a time. You know, it's like, oh. here's a, here's a foot. Here's a leg. Here's a, you know we, we kind of joke about that a little bit. So, but you know what? That's that's the outlook. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, so, I mean you. It, it's a choice. 
It, it really is. It's a choice on how you want to look at it. It's a choice on how you want to deal with it. Yeah, with anything. So you were diagnosed, right? I was diagnosed in 2012. Uh, you mentioned I was a, a, a girls' high school basketball coach, and I had a callus that broke open on the bottom of my foot, right below my third toe. And being a coach, you know, you're on your feet a lot. So I initially, I didn't think much of it. But after it didn't heal for a couple of weeks, I went and saw a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine, and he took an X-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did, and he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. But he said, you know what, it doesn't look bad. I'll send it off to pathology anyway. And he did. And then two weeks later, I get a call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend and the more difficulty he was having telling me what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming until he finally just laid it out for me. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years I have never seen this form of cancer. You have a rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. And I recommend you go to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston and be treated. And so I did, you know, I, I, I had the bottom of my foot excised, removed, and I had all the lymph nodes in my groin taken out. And then when I healed, my oncologist put me on a drug called interferon. And the side effects of interferon were that I got severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week. Yeah, I mean, for, for five years, and that was not to cure me. That was just to keep the disease from coming back. I had to stop interfering. The, the flu, the flu, the flu symptoms. Was it mucus involved also? Was it like a hundred percent flu symptoms? Or was it just the coughing and the chills and the appetite? It, it was. It was everything. I mean, it was like the worst flu you. Had. I mean, I was. I shook. I was cold. I was throwing up. I was. I mean, it, it was. It was just ugly. And, you know, wow. it was every week for five years. And I remember when my oncologist suggested this therapy, I looked at her like, that that's just cruel. That's just, I mean, that's not something that a human being should have to endure. I said, five years is ridiculous. She's like, well, do it for the, do it for as long as you can. Do it for as long as your body can hold out. And, and I, I almost made it to five years. I made it to four years and seven months. So I, I kind of just round up and say five years. Oh, it's easier. Do three months. You couldn't do it. How many more months? Is it? You couldn't do it. You five more months? Yeah. I was like three more months or five more months, yes. I, I couldn't actually, because I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees because of the toxicity to the drug. And that's usually not compatible with being alive. As a matter of fact, when I was, so what was in the emergency. What was to do? Like what was that drug, the reason why you were taking this drug was? Was to keep the disease from coming back. Okay. To, to basically, uh, my oncologist called it kick the can down the road. You know, how far can we kick this can down the road and buy you more time? Because in 2012, there were not a lot of therapies for melanoma. So okay. it was, we're gonna try to give you, buy you more time for more therapies to come out. Wow. 
Okay. Do you have some does cancer run in your family? Was, did you find out if any other family members might have had that? Now, my on my dad's side, both my my grandfather and my grandmother died of cancer. My grandfather was a, a Chicago police officer and, and it was a you know two pack a day smoker. So it's it's probably no surprise that he got lung cancer. My grandmother got breast cancer, but in her late 70s. And then my dad um, died shortly after I got out of college of breast cancer as well. And in men. Back in the 1980s, they, they didn't know what to do with men with breast cancer. It, it was very much something that was new. And so, you know, he was also, you know, a man. I, I don't go to the doctor. It's like, mm. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. It, it was not good. Not good. Well, now, after the, you, after the seven months, I mean, the five years and seven months, <laughs> what was next? Uh, so, when they stopped the drug, the cancer came back almost immediately. And in 2018, I ended up having my left foot uh, amputated. That's the, foot that the, that's the foot that had the callus on it? Or was it the opposite? Yeah, yeah that I mean, the cancer came back in almost the exact same place. Okay. I, I mean, it was almost, you know, right in, in the same area. And I, they didn't really have, they tried a couple things that didn't work. And so it was like, well, We'll have to remove your foot. Uh, that was 2018, 2019. It kind of worked its way up my leg okay. into my, my shin. And I had two more surgeries. And then last year, 2020, an undiagnosed tumor kind of kind of my ankle area uh, grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only recourse right in the middle of this pandemic was to have my left leg amputated above the knee. And I also found out that I have tumors in my lungs and I'm still receiving treatment for those tumors today. Okay. Wow. Yeah, on that uplifting story. Yeah, but guess what? You see that smile on your face? Remember, did I, did I email you about the video game? Okay, so I'm gonna share something with you, right? So you know our brains are very strong and your brain definitely is strong because of what you've endured. You're still sitting here, you're smiling, you look phenomenal, okay? Thank you. Um, I just read this story about a person who had, I don't like to even share, say the word and put it out into the universe, okay? Who had illness and they would take the game like asteroids and they would pretend that the little bubbles or whatever they were shooting was the illness. And when they connected their brain with that, they were actually getting better and better with the playing that game, you know. You yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I, I, you know, I guess the way I look at it is this. We're all going to experience pain in our lives. And it yeah. doesn't have to be cancer pain or an, or an illness. I mean, you could flunk a test at school or break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or not get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Pain is inevitable. Mm -hmm. Suffering, on the other hand, suffering is optional. Suffering is what you do with that pain. Do you take that pain and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual? Or do you wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself and want others to feel sorry for you? 
it's a choice on how you want to handle that. And I mean, you're looking at me right now. There's no S on my chest. I'm not wearing a cape. You know, I have I have bad days. You know, I have days where I cry. I have days where I get down. I, I have days where I feel depressed. I just choose not to let myself stay in that situation. And I always keep trying to move forward. And that's all about what's going on up here. Yes, yes, yes. I just, um, it's so funny when you talk about pain. I recently lost my father in May, because I spoke to you before May. And you talk about, I mean, this, these are the first holidays without him. And I'm, I'm like, oh. and, and you know, just Saturday, I'm crying. I'm like, I got to control this. And then you bring yourself back. So it, with, with any type of loss, whether it's through health, whether it's through, you know, yourself, like you say, you flunk a test. Um, you have to bring yourself back. You have to always come back. It's how long you stay here. Yeah. 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 There there was a, there's a story that I read that initially when I read it, I thought, no, this is crazy. There's no way. But I went and did some research on it and it turns out to be true from what I've been able to find out. And back in the 1950s, there was a professor at Johns Hopkins University. And he did an experiment with rats. And it was a very simple experiment. He took rats and he put them in a tank of water that was over their head. And he wanted to see how long they would tread water. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes before they began to sink and drown. And as they were drowning, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off and let them rest for a while. And then he put them back in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. Think about that. First time, all I can do is 15 minutes. Second time, 60 hours, which told me two things. One, the importance of hope in our lives. We have to have hope. We have to believe that things are gonna get better or that we're striving for something better in our lives. And two, just how much more our our bodies can handle, how much more physical abuse, physical pain our bodies can handle and continue to move forward. So whenever I get into those kind of dark places, I always remember that story. It's like, no, you know, you can do so much more than you think you can. And it's all about changing the narrative up here. Yes. And I have a question to ask you. So looking at the fact that, let's go to the police department. Okay. Do you think the fact that you were a cop, you know, it takes a lot of mental <laughs> things too when you're a police officer, right? Do you think that has a play to do with why you're able to also mentally get yourself together with the situation? I, I think partially, but I think I would go back even further, you know, you know, I I played basketball. I started playing basketball when I was nine years old, and I played all the way up through college, all you know, up till I was 21. And the thing that I, I felt that I learned from team sports was the importance of, of, of being something part, of, being part of something bigger than yourself. And you know, you knew on a team that if you didn't do your job. Not only were you letting yourself down, but you're letting your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, you know, your parents down. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play 
is this game of life. So I am on, as I mentioned, this drug to to work on these tumors in my lungs. It's a trial drug. It's it's not approved to be used yet. And it's probably not going to save my life. But the way I look at it is, it may save somebody's life five years from now or 10 years from now when I'm no longer here. And that's part of being, you know, part of something bigger than yourself. So I kind of look at it like this just isn't about me. This is about all the people that I could potentially help mm-hmm. based on all the garbage that I'm having to go through right now. Wow, the audience, anyone watching, one thing you know, Terry, is you're not alone. Right. And that's the first thing. You know, everybody always say, I'm sure you've heard that many times, well, you're not alone. There are other people maybe going through worse, but the way you handle it is really great. You wouldn't, you know, I can almost say, tell me the truth. It's not true if I'm looking at you. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm, I don't know. <laughs> but laughter, being happy, keeping a smile on your face. But the thing is, we should be that way even when there isn't a situation that's, that we, you know what I'm saying? Like, the way you are now, everyone should be that way. Who's not even- I, I agree. I, I agree. You know, and, and I, I had a nurse recently who asked me, you know, what was it like to have your your foot amputated and and your leg amputated and to go through all this. And what I tried to explain to her is that, you know, cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind, it can't touch my heart, and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are. That's who everybody is. This is just a, a house or a vessel or whatever you want to call it to house who we really are. So you can cut off whatever you want to cut off. I mean, it, it hasn't been easy. Don't get me wrong. I'm still, when I finish up with you, I'm going to physical therapy to continue to try to learn how to walk again. You know, it's, it's real easy when you're a kid, you know, you kind of laugh and fall over and everything's great. But when you're six foot eight, it's a little bit harder to do that. You don't want to fall that far. How tall you were. When I saw that you were basketball, I was like, wow, I bet you you're really six, eight. Wow. Yeah. I'm six foot eight. I have a brother that's six foot seven, a brother that's six foot six, and my dad was six foot five. So, but my five foot eight inch mother was always the boss. Wow. So everything you need is extra tall to accommodate your, wow. So how is physical therapy going? Slow, very slow. I, I, I actually, our, our daughter got married uh, in October. That was you remember that? Yes. You sent me the, the very nice wishes. Yeah. Um, and I was able to use my prosthetic leg to walk her down the aisle. It was not, it was not pretty. It, it, it was kind of ugly, but it got done. But I'm still trying to, you know, learn how to do it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just much harder when you're, I'm an old man, you know, I'm 61 years old and, you know, and, and I'm, I'm trying to fight this. Well, <laughs> I'm just hoping I lived in 62, so we'll see. You're talking about 61 is old. I'm 50, I'll be 51. Don't tell me 60 is old. You don't, you don't look 51, though. No. You don't look 51 at all. Wait, no, 50. Christmas Eve, I'll be 51. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. Oh, it's okay. I just want to use these these little, you know, this little bit of time I have to be 50. <laughs> well, that's like my wife. She's like, you know, four months older than I am, and it's the greatest four months of, of the year, you know, because I can always say, hey, I'm dating an older woman or I married an older woman. So. 
How has this, how has your, how have your wife been throughout everything? I'm sure she's supportive. You know, she has been great. She and my daughter, I I remember when, when I found out, you know, I had these tumors in my lungs and my doctor initially wanted to put me on chemotherapy and, and I kind of looked at him like, is, is it going to save my life? And he was like, "Mm, probably not. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to go through all that. You know, it's been eight years since I've been dealing with this cancer, but I'll go home and talk to my family. And so I go home and it's just me and my daughter and my wife. So the three of us, you know, and, and I start explaining things and my daughter immediately is like, all right, we got to have a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. You know, I mean, what do you mean a family meeting? So so we sit around the kitchen table and we talk about how we, we feel about everything. And then my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to take chemotherapy? And, and I get outvoted two to one, you know, to, to oh, take chemotherapy. Oh, oh yeah, they both wanted me to take chemotherapy. And I, and I ended up doing it because I remember back in the police academy, our defensive tactics instructor had us bring a photograph of the people that we love the most to class. And while we were learning different techniques to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. And, and I think that that was entirely true because if it would have been up to me, I wouldn't have taken chemotherapy. But because they wanted me to, I ended up doing it. Do you know that's so true that, I mean, I actually have, I'm that way too. I'll fight harder for people I love. And me, I'll be like, okay, okay, I can deal with me. I can take it. You know, and a lot of people, you know, they say that you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to fight for yourself and then for, for people. but. I think for circumstances, it's, it's all on how you are, it's how your heart is. Yeah, I, I mean, it's again, it goes back to being part of something that's bigger than yourself. You know, yeah. for me, it's it's my family, you know, or or your God or your religion or whatever you believe. And, yeah. you know, you, it's not about you. You know, it, it's about us and, and, and our connection to something bigger than us. So motivational check. How did you come up with that name? Like, how was that birth? That's a a great question because that segues the the defensive tactics instructor that I was telling you about. When we would do things, and and we did some pretty hard things. We ended up running a marathon and and all kinds of stuff that if we just were at the end of our rope and we didn't think we could go on, we could yell out motivational check. And the rest of our class, our academy class, would respond, we were the 84th recruit class, we would respond with an 84 to let that person know that, hey, you're not alone. You know, we're all in this together, we'll get through this together. So when I was looking to come up with a a name for the blog, I was like, well, motivational check seems to work. I mean, I was was so resistant to do a blog in the first place, people kept suggesting it, I'm like, I'm old. I can barely turn my cell phone on in the morning. What do you mean start a blog? I, I mean, it was like, you know, but it's kind of like one of those things, you know, there's that old joke that goes, when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When yeah. God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. So God never talked to me, but I think what God did was put people in my path that were making these suggestions. And over time, I think I'm smart enough to realize, hmm, maybe I ought to pay attention to what's going on here. Too many people are saying that. That's exactly what that is. I don't know why, and they, 
<laughs> I'm laughing. You saw me make the face like they call it schizophrenia, huh? I just think <laughs> I think it's called that. It's just you know, that's like the cover up. They go to covers again. That's weird, you know. Um, and the good thing is, you you, you saw it. You identified what it was. The people that were coming forward, you know, if you see it, sometimes you have to stop and go. Is that what I just? You know, and um, you you went with it, and your blog is successful today, right? It's going great. It is. It's it's it's, it's outstanding. I put up a, a every day. I put up a thought for the day, and and that comes with a question to kind of get you to think about how that thought might apply in your life. And then on on Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which is sometimes a video, sometimes a story, a little bit longer. But I know people are busy, so you know I always say if you need a a quick hit of inspiration or motivation, go to Motivational Check, do what's there, and then get on with your day. Because I'm not going to spend a lot of time. You know, I, I realize that there are other things you got to do with your life. So that's kind of how I set it up. And my audience, you heard that Motivational Check. I will definitely be going there. So the book, how was your book first? I'm sorry. Well, the book also, right? I did. I did. Uh, the The book is called. Uh, I think you mentioned it. Sustainable excellence: the ten principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life. And it's. It was really a book born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former player that I coached who had moved to the Colorado area where my wife and I live. And I remember having dinner with her and her fiance. And I said to her one night, "You know, I'm really excited that you're living close, and I can watch you find and live your purpose." And she got. She got real quiet for a while, and then she kind of looked at me, and she's like, "Well, Coach, what do you think my purpose is?" I said, "I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about: finding the reason God put you on the face of this earth, and then living that reason." So that was one conversation, and then another conversation was a young man in college just reached out to me on LinkedIn, and he was like, "What do you think are the most important things I should know to not only be successful in my job or in business?" But in life, and I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those aren't important; they are. But I wanted to see if I could go a little bit deeper. And so, I, you know, I, I spent some time. I ended up writing some notes, and eventually, I had these ten thoughts, these ten ideas, these ten principles, and I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back, and I was like, you know, I've got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates. That principle. So literally, I, I had a three-month period between I had my leg amputated and the time I started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs, and I sat down at the computer every day while I was healing. <coughs> excuse me. And I built stories underneath each of those principles, and that's how sustainable excellence came to be. Wow. Very nice. How can my audience get in touch with you and and you know your websites? your book how do they purchase your item so the the book is pretty much available anywhere you can buy a book online so you can get it through amazon you can get barnes and noble you can get it at apple ibooks anywhere online you can get a book you can get sustainable excellence uh, in terms of getting a hold of me um you can get hold of me through my blog so motivationalcheck.com will get you through me. You can get to my social media sites there. You can actually buy the book there. You can leave me a message if you want. So yeah, motivationalcheck.com will get you to me. And mohanilove.com will get you to him. He will be on my website also. So Teddy, 
We have to share two motivational posts with one another before we finish. <laughs> okay. You want to go first or you want me to? Okay. Always remember, whatever you do, it starts with you and ends with you. Bye, I like that. <laughs> I like that. That was off the top. I like that a lot. <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. I'll go, I'll go with this one, and, and this is not mine. This is from a man by the name of John Wooden, who was a basketball coach in UCLA back in the 1970s. And, and here's the quote. A careful person I want to be, a little person follows me. I dare not go astray for fear they may go the same way. Wow. I like that. So it's being- Feel free to use it. Yes, being a conscious leader, basically. Yeah, exactly. There's people that, you know, there's people that want to be like you. There's people that want to be well like me. We have no idea who those people are. Yep. You know? So just be careful how you live your life. Nice. Well, Terry, thank you so much for interviewing with me. And I would like to have you back in a couple of months. <laughs> I had to do a check on you. That would be great. Thank you very much for having me. I, you know, I, I always... I always I say it's things. Go ahead. Go ahead. Look, both of us. I want you to just stay in one piece now, please. Terry. I'll, I'll do my best. I'll try not to fall at physical therapy today and, you know, like Humpty Dumpty break apart. Yeah. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say, I, I, I just want to say thank you to you because it's it's nice people like you that allow me to come on and, and, and you know, we can have a conversation and hopefully with our words today, it's going to make a difference in somebody else's life. And if it does, today's been a good day. Yes, it has. It's what is it? Reach one. Is it reach one, teach one, each one, teach one, reach one, reach one, teach one. I think. There you go. Heard of that. So thank you. Enjoy your day and have a phenomenal physical therapy, you know, day. Thank you. It'll be fun. Yes, it is. You see my face. Terry, better than fun today. Right? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Thank you, Terry. Enjoy. Thank you. Bye. You, you take care. Hey, you too.